thanks for tuning in. You're listening to From A to Gen Z with Connie Castle and Jale Brazel, cultural commentary and celebrity chat from two Gen Zers. Hello, welcome to this super festive bumper episode. We've got some festive little bits and bobs, some Christmas cheer to sprinkle in amongst our normal segments. And we're just ramping up for the big day. Woo! Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) How are you doing, Zara? Are you in the festive spirit? Have your plans changed? There was a recent announcement, sadly. Oh, yeah. Yeah. How are your Christmas plans shaping up? We are in London, as most of you know, which is sadly tearful cry. Yes. Um, Well, they have changed slightly. Uh, My brother and sister are no longer coming. Um, Oh, is that going to be your first Christmas without them? Yeah first Christmas ah! without them sad which obviously that loads of people sad. are going through at the moment um which is disappointing but I am just really committed to the Christmas spirit that's so, a really good attitude yeah, yeah. thank you thanks <laughs> it's really strong of me I know <laughs> I applaud you <laughs> but it is good to try and just keep the positivity up you know even yeah. when these things are like not going the way we want them. yeah exactly I think the key is obviously it's not going to be the same I think pretending that it's going to be exactly as we expected yeah. or wanted would be a mistake but as it is you know it's a slimmed down version you know smaller tur- well actually the same size turkey but now it's <laughs> just only gonna feed three people um but the festive good Big times portions yeah exactly, yeah exactly um but the festive times can continue and that's what's important yeah yeah that is good do you have any fun traditions that you always do every year uh yes yes I do actually um well in our family we normally have my two uncles arriving in the morning on Christmas day and I don't know how this originated but it must have been some kind of origin when my brother and sister were little um but it's now hugely escalated so that when my uncles arrive they never say exactly when they're coming and when they enter the door, we have like a massive party popper fight. But oh, since so you it's release be- them, yeah, 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 like pew, 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 pew. <laughs> but since its beginnings, it's really grown. So now we order like those confetti cannons. We get those, Whoa. you know, the balloons where you blow them up and then they like shoot around the room. Those are kind of our oh missiles. And just anything that's kind of disruptive but not violent is a weapon that can be utilized. Um, so it's a lot of chaos on Christmas morning and bearing oh. in mind that my sister is 27 and I'm 22 and we still do this. <laughs> Sounds so, so fun. I know it's really no. fun. And also I think it's good because it's nice to get the kind of frenetic energy, the nervous energy of Christmas morning. It's good to have an outlet for that. And then you can kind mm. of settle down, you know, have some Prosecco. So yeah, but won't be having that this year. No. Oh no. No battle. No pew, pew, pew. Yeah, no pew pew pew. Um, but but still plenty of prosecco. Slash but still, Christmas yeah. specials. Yeah, exactly. Christmas specials. We'll be discussing those later. Um, but we wish all of our listeners a very merry Christmas and a happy New Year. Um, thank you so much for sticking with us this far. A surprising number of you have. <laughs> um, we love you guys. Yeah, we love you very much. Um, and this will actually be the final episode of season one. So the end of 2020 will also be the end of our first season. But don't fear, we will be back in 2021 
with a brand new fresh season for you all and it's gonna be great yay get hyped for season two guys can't wait to see you in the new year yeah we'll see you there So, Jar, apart from Christmas music, <laughs> have you been listening to anything at the moment? Yes, I have. I have a podcast series recommendation, which I think you will absolutely love. I know I say this every week, but this time <laughs> it's true. <laughs> I'm excited. I need the yeah. new podcast to listen to, as always. Um, it's called Strippers in the Attic. Wow. I know. You're hooked already, I can see. And... It's just started, so there's three episodes, one of which is a Christmas special, so the festive vibes oh, yeah. are strong. And it's hosted by Buffy Love and Heaven, who are two women who've made a living from stripping. The premise of the series is basically to give a behind-the-scenes look on what it's actually like to be a stripper, because I feel like, and this is myself included, the preconceptions that are out there about what it's like are either from music videos or from films or from sort of warped media takes that probably aren't that realistic to what it's actually like to be in that world and in that profession. Yeah, 100%. Um, so they describe the practicalities of it. There's this really funny bit really? where they say, yeah, yeah, yeah. They say, One of their top tips is that you can never bend your knees when you're taking off your underwear on stage because it doesn't look sexy. You need to keep oh. all of your limbs straight. So Got some a lot of, of flexibility there. Yeah, then. exactly. <laughs> Um, so some of it is like really specific things like that that you would never think of but they also talk about the dynamics between strippers in the changing room you know the new girl versus people who've been there for ages Um, Mm. the yeses and nos of what you should have in your costume heaven tells this really funny story of she first auditioned in a bowler hat because she was really into musical theater and she was telling the story and she just said that is a no no you should not do that um so yeah really interesting basically talking about it as an actual job where you have to know certain things and abide by certain unspoken rules and it was just so enjoyable to listen to because they're they're very obviously really close friends so They Mm -hmm. talk about how they first got into stripping and the first jobs they had in the industry, but it's very laid back, really funny. And most importantly, there's just no judgment because they're both in, they're both in the world and they're not speaking to someone who is kind of projecting their own preconceptions onto them. So the conversation just flows in a very ready way because they're at very different stages. So Buffy is American and she's now retired from stripping, um, but she was doing it for 20 years, which I thought was incredible. Wow, Um, that's a long time. I would have thought it would be like a footballer. You have to retire at 30. I know. That's what I would assume as well. And she must have been in such good physical shape to maintain it. True. Because she said that she's nearly 40 now, so you know phenomenal whereas heaven is british and she's 29 and she's only been stripping for 11 years i say only it's still you know over a decade in a, yeah, in a job so they both started when they were 18 that's great so what do they talk about are there is it topics or is it like questions like to be asked some questions or something well the first episode i've only listened to the first one but okay. it's basically them telling anecdotes about how they first got into the industry yeah and I found it slightly troubling at times because I couldn't tell if there was sometimes a disjunction between how traumatic their experiences seem to be and 
the lightheartedness with which they were talking about it. Because, Amazing. yeah, but I mean, you'd never, on a first listen, I was just amused and laughing along. And then it sort of stuck in my mind a bit for afterwards. And I suddenly thought, actually, if I was in that position, I would have found it awful. Mm-hmm. So they kind of tell stories about their auditions. And they're these 18-year-old girl, obviously, who has to do, one of them basically goes into this basement of this stripping club where the manager, who's obviously a middle-aged man, basically says to her, okay, take off all your clothes. And then she just has to walk up and down. So, yeah, so the facts of that situation are, like, quite horrible. But the way they speak about it is just, like, it's really funny. And, like, it was, they were kind of nervous at the time, but it wasn't, like, a massive trauma for them, which I thought was an interesting sort of difference in how I would have assumed it would have felt. Um, Yeah. And they remember how pleased they were when they were told that they first got the job. Aww. So and it's, so that's another weird inversion of like power play because you'd assume that you were often sold this narrative of people going to stripping as like a last resort and they're very desperate and that's the only thing that's left open to them. But for Buffy and Heaven, they were both thrilled when they got this job and they wanted to do it. And they seem to have oh, that yeah. agency. So So that was really interesting. Even though they were in it for the money, it wasn't you know, they weren't saying it as a sob sob story that it was a really challenging time. It was kind of just what they wanted to do. So um, that's cool. That's yeah, good to know so that they weren't like forced into it and they enjoy do they enjoy their job? Do they Yeah, I think they really do. I mean I wanna listen to the to the later episodes because I want just for my own sort of peace of mind and interest I want to disentangle this difference between poli- the wider politics of it and their personal experiences because mm. they're so they're so amiable and amicable when they speak about it that they don't touch on the sort of underlying sort of feminist problems that immediately spring to my mind so there's no they don't really discuss the objectification of women that's just so obviously a mainstay of the industry yeah the whole point of the industry (laughs) and also they don't really in this first episode they don't really touch on how it intersects with like porn and prostitution as much um they mention it but they kind of don't go into details I felt like there was serious elements to unpack but they were obviously taking an approach that was telling all this as funny anecdotes um Mm -hmm. and it really reminded me of I think Hustlers that 2019 film with Jennifer Lopez which was just so well acted and so well done which was about strippers in New York I thought that struck the balance really well between showing the power and adrenaline that the performers felt in this club and kind of the precariousness of their existence alongside the huge amount of money they could make. You know, it wasn't a stable, steady income because it was so dependent on, you know, their nightly takings, basically. So I thought that struck a good balance between the sort of high life element of it that was that's really addictive and glamorous. Yeah, glamorous, yeah. yeah versus the slightly more unpleasant, degrading difficult sides of it but if you just want an interesting listen and it's essentially two women talking about their jobs and their workplace but the workplace is a strip club and the job is stripping so connie have you got any recommendations for me what have you been watching recently so this week i watched uh, the much hyped diana in her own words documentary um which is on netflix it's actually i think it came out in 2017 so it's not super recent but it's had a a big resurgence because of everyone watching the crown recently yeah of big course. diana hype yes. <laughs> yeah so um the the premise of the documentary is basically that it's voiced over by princess diana so it's kind of like 
that the in her own words thing is basically that usually you'd have like a historical expert or someone being like at this point in her life Diana did x but no it's all her own words and it uses recordings that were taken in 1991 on behalf of Andrew Morton who was writing a biography so it's just her talking about her experience yeah so it's very much the kind of one side of the story and supposedly you know her side of the story although obviously she didn't know that her words were going to be taken and used in this way so you know questionable on that aspect but yeah what I took away from it was sadly it's quite a depressing documentary to be quite honest she she talks about her life before the, the royal engagement and before the marriage and everything and even that part of her life didn't sound great Aww. it was quite depressing yeah she says she had a very unhappy childhood she can remember being very unhappy as a child her parents had a it sounds like they had a really bad relationship and there was like domestic abuse Aww. she saw her mother be like hit in the face and stuff and yeah in general the key points I took away from it things that I, maybe I didn't know beforehand were like about her background because obviously we know that she was a lady she was like mm. lady diana spencer before she got married um but she had quite a normal when she, at the point of her marriage um her engagement even she was quite a normal kind of girl yeah. she was only 19 i think that a lot of people didn't really know until the crown the huge age gap she was yeah. 36 when she was 19 um and she was living in london with three of her friends in a flat in kensington which sounds mm. so normal especially for us gen z is like that's actually what our friends are doing yeah. right now like living with their friends in a flat so it's crazy so she was a nursery slash kindergarten teacher so she had such a normal job mm. and while the press were hounding her she was just going off in her car to work Aww. at the kindergarten every day yeah. so it's crazy basically yeah a few other things like that she knew about the adultery like his relationship with Camilla before they were even engaged she was yeah. aware that it was something that was going on which I didn't know at all I thought this was something that happened kind of late into the marriage anyway that was pretty pretty sad and that she kind of implies that things were, were pretty unhappy from the beginning and that even when he said in during the engagement she said I love you so much and he said whatever that means yeah. in response I have you heard that before I, I, I that. had that's the one thing that I had heard before I think it must have just been mentioned at some point but it was so horrid that it stuck in my mind and they so I've actually weird. seen that clip from the crown and it's acted so well because really? it's just there's this horrible expression that he makes that's just sort of really distanced and it is exactly it's, it's yeah. such a classic like um you know these attachment theories that i'm obsessed with such a classic avoidant thing to say because it's like yeah it's so non-committal but at the same time he's basically he's not saying it back yeah <laughs> he's exactly. saying i don't know if, if i don't know what it means and if i do know what it means i don't know if i actually mean it kind of thing anyway very sad but yeah some other things i thought were important were kind of her talking about her mental health struggles because i just feel like she was so ahead of the time on, in that aspect yeah. also she she talks about the the bulimia struggle in detail in the documentary and she says it started the week after her engagement and she basically oh, wow. blames it on prince charles which i don't think you really can with a mental health issue i, I don't think they ever come from one thing mm. do they but there was a moment when he put his hand on her waist and said she was a bit chubby there Oh. And she said that that very night she went and like made herself throw up. Yeah, it seems like there was kind of a reaction to the sort of dramatic change in her life and the circumstances, kind of going from just being a kindergarten teacher to being, you know, the princess yeah. to be. She talks about how she lost six inches around her waist in between dress fittings, which is insane. That's, that's a huge that's amount of weight. Yeah. And yeah, I w wondered if that was the reason. 
Yeah, I think well, I think you're absolutely right. Her whole people's princess persona was mm-hmm. because she was so emotionally open when the rest of the royal family are famously buttoned up. But I really wonder after this series of the crown what damage it has done to the royal family's reputation because mm-hmm. Prince Charles is going to be the next king and yeah. now the whole British public and swathes of American public who watch the crown see him in this light which is you know if you've watched previous series you might understand why he's turned out the way he has but yeah. the way he's portrayed with Diana is horrible and shocking so and I was reminded of it because I was watching the Strictly final um oh yeah and Camilla's in it and Camilla she like does this video message Camilla Parker Bowles does this video message where she says, you know, good luck to all the contestants and she's been following it and she's been really enjoying it and it's a great thing to uplift the nation and just classic royal duty. But instead of just sort of thinking, okay, this is just another public figure that the BBC's roped in, my immediate thought was, oh, that's Camilla from The Crown. (laughs) And I thought about that I haven't watched it in in full, but I thought about the scenes that I have um, watched where she's involved and I just wonder how many other people ha- now have that connection. And it's a very negative spin on public figures who are very much present in our lives. So yeah. I wonder the ramifications. It's so weird. It's so mm. weird to think, because that honestly, it's such a huge scandal, don't you think? That yeah. he would marry someone so young, have an affair from the beginning, yeah, cheat on her during the relationship, divorce, and then marry her afterwards openly. Yeah. It's quite a big scandal, isn't it? But that's um, interesting that you watched a documentary about it without having seen The Crown, because it, even though you're saying it's not a purely historical perspective, it shows yeah. that the drama of it is all there in the facts. Like, they're not yeah. really... They're not creating any of this tension or any of this hype in The Crown. They're, they're just relaying it to yeah. an audience in no, a fictional format. No, I don't format. think they are. And I think a lot of it, she really felt tension and drama. Like There's there's moments where she talks about um, going to a party where Camilla and Charles go off in a room by themselves. You might have heard the clip because um, it's kind of going around the internet. And that kind of thing is like, a, you know... A reality TV yeah. drama scene you know you go to a house and your husband disappears with the with his other woman yeah um, I don't think they had to to ratchet up any tension and emotional stress in the crown did they because it sounds like the real events were pretty yeah because it was up. all there well and now fast forward for 2020 and Camilla Parker Bowles is just watching Strictly along with the rest yeah. of us <laughs> mental <laughs> the world we live in Now it's time for Nice Nuggets of News, a segment where we discuss uplifting news stories that might have passed you by. So we have a couple of Christmas-themed Nice Nuggets today. Do you want to kick us off, Connie, with your Nice Nugget of News? Yeah, so my Nice Nugget is about a, a new trend among communities in the UK, which is to put on a display Um, in your windows that makes it look like all of the houses in the road are an advent calendar cute right so people have like a number in their window and then a little scene that they kind of like cut paper out and stick pictures and shapes in the window to make it look festive and pretty so cute yeah super cute so um it's actually happening in lots of different areas in the country and different streets but um there's one particular street in Haringey, north london that had organized their adventure 
trail yeah. and they're doing it in conjunction with the school so it's like the children of the school obviously helping and their parents um but they're also doing it in lots of different parts of the country claire bennett said that her window is number 15 in the living advent calendar and she told the guardian we're all really impressed with the quality of the one so far and there is a pressure not to let the side down cute <laughs> that is cute but to be honest when you first said that that is exactly my reaction is that if you're not that arts and craftsy then the pressure is on oh my gosh it is it's just another form of peer pressure um, <laughs> it's, it's a lovely thing obviously but I'm just thinking that because I people are sometimes really handy with like paper mache and I just don't have that in my repertoire do I mean yeah well we'll try and share some of the pictures on our social medias because they look very cute and festive um, yeah but yeah, nice festive nugget. What Have you got any festive nuggets for me today? I Mom? have. I okay. have a nice nugget about a deer called Carrot. Carrot oh. is a white-tailed buck living in northern Ontario in Canada. And he's slightly disturbingly been photographed with an arrow sticking out of his head. I mean, this arrow is literally going like through his head at a diagonal oh angle. God. If you see pictures, you will be shocked that he's alive and well but he is alive and well wildlife photographer leanne carver who's from the city of kenora named carrot and said he was unlike any deer i've ever met which obviously depends on how many deer you've met but i think she's you know well acquainted with the species um she is trying to spread awareness about carrot's injury in the hope of saving him apparently the deer has been visiting carver and her husband in their backyard for three years she says he's very gentle and affectionate and more surprisingly that his behavior hasn't changed since he appeared with the arrow sticking out of his head getting into the specifics there's no blood visible around the wound and it's not infection or anything which is great and now officers have managed to sedate carrot and cut off some of the arrow and they're hoping that it won't get any worse and that the shaft will just fall out naturally in the next few months because they don't want to remove it in case it's stopping the bleeding but what surprised me about this is that the reason he's got this arrow in his head is because it's legal to shoot deer with bows in the city of Kenora. that's crazy yeah. also yeah. bow and arrow is such an old like medieval weapon i know <laughs> to use. surely it's quite cruel to use a bow and arrow because it's not as effective as another method but but Lee Ann was very sweet about it. Um, Carrot has unified people across the world. She's received loads of really kind messages about him. And she said, there's so much suffering in the world these days and Carrot's suffering too, but he's become bigger than that. He's given us something to focus on right now and something to love. And that means a lot. Oh, so the name Carrot is so cute. It really suits him as well. He looks like he doesn't look like an actual carrot, but he looks like his name could well be Carrot. So yeah, our hearts go out to Carrot and we are praying for a swift and successful recovery. So Shah, what have you been watching recently? Anything new? Well, I watched a 2018 film called The Happy Prince, which is now on BBC iPlayer for a limited time, I think. It's starring Rupert Everett, who also wrote and directed it. So it's kind of a labour of love for him. And he plays the Victorian playwright Oscar Wilde, who's also oh. a poet. Yeah, I did The Importance of Being Earnest for GCSE. So I uh, know his work pretty well. <laughs> I did it in first year of uni, actually. Did you? Fun oh. fact. Yeah. Introduction to drama. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's basically a biopic following the last years of Wilde's life, which were 
quite depressing to be honest warning it's not very festive this is not a festive film but it's basically the couple of years after he was released from prison and in which he was sentenced to two years hard labor which essentially really broke him i think because he was arrested in 1895 for gross indecency which was a Victorian law which essentially criminalised sexual activity between men. So the story is that Wilde's lover was this famous young aristocrat called Lord Alfred Douglas, um, but who's nicknamed Bosey. He's called Bosey in the film. And he's played by Colin Morgan, who is Merlin from our youth. Oh, oh my God, I love him. I know, completely unrecognisable. Obviously, this is just a testament to how good he is as an actor because in Merlin, he's so wide-eyed and like sweet. And in this, he's he's really good looking, but quite like conceited and really self-absorbed and this posh man about town. Yeah, so it was really fascinating to watch that transformation. And the film follows Oscar Wilde's release from prison and his escape to France with the help of a couple of his friends. And the plot is essentially after some half-baked attempts to reconnect with his wife Constance and their two sons, he engages in some homoerotic escapades across the <gasps> continent. I know, he's in what? Italy, he's in France, he reunites with Bosey, which is really ill-advised. And the structure is quite episodic, so it flits between his final days where he ends up destitute and ill in Paris um, oh. and the more rosy, hopeful period just after he's released from prison. Peter Bradshaw in The Guardian describes Wilde's later days in this film as poignantly ruined magnificence, which what? I just thought was a grand phrase, so I wanted to use it, but I don't really think I agree with the poignantly. It didn't make you feel sad for him then? Well, I I don't know if I'm being like really unduly harsh about this, because he's clearly a huge, he is, he was, clearly a huge magnetic personality. All the characters in the film are really drawn to him. They really admire him. They want to look after him. But he's essentially addicted to having a good time, whether it's sex, drugs, uh... absinthe. Another reviewer, Jeanette Katsoulis in the New York Times, calls him an unrepentant hedonist, which I think is closer to my perception of how he is presented because his friends bend over backwards to help him and he's really underappreciative of their generosity and often like quite rude to them um oh that's not good vibes i know it's not good vibes and i was wondering if it was just the time that i'm watching it in when i feel hypersensitive to sort of empathy and you know a kind of collective sense of everyone coming together and knuckling down and you've just got to be kind maybe yeah yeah i don't know and the parties are probably seeming a bit yeah (laughs) So it's probably all a bit intense. Yeah, not that's been no like nine months. <laughs> no social distancing going on there. None in that orgy. Yeah, it's true. And again, Peter Bradshaw said that he, in the film, Oscar Wilde treats his friends with ungrateful negligence, which is 100% true. So I came away thinking it would have been a lot better if it had shown more of him in his prime so that as an audience, you understand his pull and his charisma. Because as it is, you see him falling from grandeur but I personally lacked sympathy for him because all of his decisions are are quite Mm. consciously ill-advised and selfish and he's it's not as if he's deluded I mean he knows exactly what he's doing and he still does these things that really hurt other people I read some reviews that described it as a as a story of redemption especially since he gets converted to Catholicism on his deathbed but I didn't again I didn't really take that away I thought it was more of an indictment of his self-absorbed behaviour and 
the fact that he just ignored all of his responsibilities and the relationships which had served him for so long. But the best bits of it, which is probably, again, an obvious thing to say because he's such a renowned writer, but the the way they weave Oscar Wilde's writing into the story was really what stood out for me because The Happy Prince is a children's story that he wrote, which is kind of, it takes the form of a fable and that's woven in really well. And he wrote a poem, a famous poem called The Ballad of Reading Jail, which is also really evocative and bits of that are read aloud as well. Mm, that sounds good. Sometimes yeah. um, when they try and weave in the, the literature, it kind of can seem a bit self-conscious and gross and you're like, stop. Yeah, I've, <laughs> I've witnessed that before as well. But this was, I thought they did it really well. Um, and it didn't seem self-indulgent. But generally, I just felt like it's sort of what we were saying with Diana, I guess. I mean, obviously, it's Victorian period versus only a few years ago. But it's the same problems of the dangers of celebrity and the kind of toxic mm. nature of being famous. And when all of these things are available to you as a famous person, it can just so easily lead to this really destructive and difficult path. In this example, it's coupled with restrictiveness of Victorian sensibility which is an issue completely in itself but I thought there were similarities with the kind of celebrity culture of today and even more than that it's clearly a blessing and a curse to be such a such an absorbing personality because if people are so drawn to you they'll kind of forgive you anything and you can act however you want and there are no consequences which obviously leaves you in a really morally challenging situation because if no one's going to call you out for anything you are free to do whatever you want. Yeah, you're a bit indulged, aren't you? Yeah. How exactly. interesting. That sounds yeah. like a really good, entertaining way to, to learn about his life. Yeah, and it focused... I thought it was good that it focused on his latter years because he's so often yeah. held up as this enormous wit and huge character and, you know, modern-day figures like Stephen Fry are completely obsessed with him and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But I thought it was good to focus on this stage of his life that's perhaps lesser known, but is in some ways a really telling portrait of the consequences of his decisions. What else have you been watching then, Connie? Yeah, so this past week I've started a new series called Virgin River on Netflix. Have you heard of it, Jean? Um, I have not heard of it, and from what you're about to say, I hope I never watch it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so this came up to me on my Netflix recommended, um, and I was really looking for something new to get into for the Christmas period, something kind of meaty that had a few episodes I wasn't just going to binge in a second because, you know, I want to be entertained in the lockdown. We um, all want to be entertained. Period. That's yes. what we want. Um, so this was a good option basically because there's 10 episodes per series and two series. So some, some juicy (laughs) episodes for me to get into. Um, they're not super long. I think they're like 40 minutes per episode. So there's plenty there for you. If some, if you're looking for a new series, guys, maybe try this, maybe don't. (laughs) Um, but yeah, so the premise of it, it's not great. It's not a very good show. And I wanted to compare it a bit to, to how I spoke about Love Life the other week. If you remember, I said that yeah. Love Life is like an extended romantic comedy. Um, but that's like an extended good romantic comedy. Whereas this is like an extended <laughs> cheesy holiday film. Um, oh. You know, one of those classic ones, like like a, a Hallmark film, I think they call them in America, which is like, you know, non-brand vibes, like no famous actors, no one you've ever uh, seen, right, a yeah. cardboard set kind of thing. Um, 
one of those films where a city girl moves to the country and learns the meaning of Christmas kind of thing is basically that but just really extended and also not about Christmas but somehow the exact same thing so (laughs) (laughs) she's so it follows Mel who is a nurse practitioner and she always reminds you that she's a nurse practitioner rather than just a nurse which is weird I don't know if what does that mean I have no idea. It just it sounds more official, maybe that's the reason. But every time detail. she's a practitioner, yeah, weird. So she's moved from LA to Virgin River, which is, I believe, a fictional town in uh, Northern California. So not super okay. far, but it's very picturesque. Virgin River. It's like some kind of stunning mountainous, foresty river, natural, you know, countryside place in America. I can envisage it. Yeah. Yes, very lumberjack vibes um there she meets a guy called jack pretty much the second she arrives like she she's told that the only place in town that serves food is jack's bar and obviously jack is like the right age attractive you know (laughs) he's the perfect man for her anyway obviously they couldn't string out 10 episodes in two series if it was as straightforward as a normal holiday romance Mm. so the the thing that it does do well is that it's got kind of like a parallel plot which is flashbacks to mel and jack's old lives so mel's kind of running from something back home um and you obviously get you get flashbacks every episode um to kind of her old life and, and what you are gradually revealed like more and more what yeah. happened and why she's there etc everybody in Virgin River seems to have a past and like there's more going on than you might think which is okay. kind of they do it quite well because at the end of every episode they leave it on a massive cliffhanger so if you were starting to think like this is a terrible program and I should not be watching this, they always leave it at the point where you're like, but I want to know what happens next. Um, Have you watched the whole series? No, I think I've watched like maybe six episodes. And are so you going to finish it? Oh, definitely, definitely, I'll finish series one. I mean, I think I'll finish it all to be honest. It's quite entertaining, and I really want to know part of the story I don't want to spoil it for anyone watching yeah but you want to find out exactly what happened in the past and also exactly what's happening in the present but okay, it's not yeah. good I mean it's good but it's not good an interesting sum up there you started off saying yeah. it's a terrible show and ended saying I love it I'm gonna watch the whole first season yeah <laughs> love to hate I think is the vibe yeah, yeah. I wouldn't recommend it for intellectual <laughs> reasons but if you're looking for something exactly if you're looking for something very chilled <laughs> to watch in the back crown while you browse your phone maybe so for today's christmas special we thought we'd talk about our favorite christmas songs through the ages we've got some classics we've got some modern new releases i'm yeah. really excited for this segment so <laughs> Do you want to kick us off? Do you want to kick us off? Yes, I will. Um, I'll kick you off with, oh, I don't want to kick you. I'll just kick (laughs) off. (laughs) I actually only recently heard this song, but it came out ages ago. And it's Hard Candy Christmas by Dolly Parton. Oh, I don't know it. (laughs) Dolly Parton, queen of my heart, as you know. It's a song from a musical, which is incredibly titled, the best little whorehouse in Texas. So I don't think she wrote it, but it appears on one of her Christmas albums. And it's quite kind of laid back. It's it's interesting because the Christmas theme is only, it appears in a simile, if we're getting analytical about it, because the chorus is, she says, it's like a hard candy Christmas. And in the play, it's the final song. And it basically describes 
all the prostitutes who are working in this brothel that was very successful that's now been shut down they're saying what they'll move on to do next or how they'll survive now that their livelihood has been taken away but the general sentiment of it is resilience and perseverance and even though they're falling on hard times they're going to make the best of it and some of the lyrics are really funny and nice so that's my first recommendation what about yours love it well my recommendation is a new one a 2020 release (laughs) and it's Tinashe's uh god rest you merry gentlemen oh I love this remix have you heard this (laughs) (laughs) it's a good one because she you know she just really takes a a modern spin on the classic Mm -hmm. carol it's actually a really good carol I've forgotten that and it did remind me listening to it that we can't have carol services this year pretty tragic because that was quite a good i remember at school we always used to have a carol service obviously you were there and it was (laughs) that marker of like now it's christmas time because we've had yeah yeah so if you're missing carols but you're a bit of a modern gal i would recommend (laughs) tinashe's offering sultry her her book is very sultry (laughs) she has a a little lyric where she's like my name's on the naughty list (laughs) she just throws that (laughs) into the god rescue vibes and it's a nice mix you know you wouldn't think it would work but it kind of (laughs) does I yeah like chili and chocolate I was just so impressed when people managed to make Christmas even a little bit sexy so because she does manage it speaking of pop princesses my second one is Britney's Christmas offering which is my only wish it's just classic Britney to be honest with you it's very sugary it's very light but it's just completely brilliant my last one continuing in the sultry vein is a song that I heard for the first time last year which is James Brown's Merry Christmas Baby which I just really love because it sounds like he sings it something about his voice kind of cozied up on the sofa but he's also kind of drunk and kind of randy and (laughs) it's a really good like evocative use of his voice so that's another really fun one that I enjoy and also obviously we're trying to give you ones that aren't just the Christmas classics that you hear on repeat in Tesco. Welcome to From A-List to Gen Z, the segment where we talk in detail about the wild world of celebrities. So what celebrity news do you have for me today, Jar, for this week's A-List to Gen Z? It's the news that Elliot Page, who was formerly known as Ellen Page, an actor in Hollywood, starred in the 2007 film Juno, currently starring in the Umbrella Academy on Netflix, has recently come out as transgender. So he announced on his Instagram page, I am trans, my pronouns are he slash they, and my name is Elliot, and did a statement in, in support of the LGBTQ and specifically the trans community. So he describes himself as both transgender and non-binary, i.e. he doesn't align with either the male or female gender specifically. And I just thought it was worth flagging because he joins a very small a comparatively small list of trans people working in Hollywood there's Laverne Cox obviously who's in Orange is the New Black and Janet Mock who wrote directed and produced Pose which I'm not sure if you've seen it's the tv show about the LGBTQ ballroom scene in New York in the 1980s it's, it's really fun and really well done just thought it was an important announcement to raise awareness of those kind of communities and I think the reaction to him coming out as trans has been really positive because a recent Instagram post he did was just 
expressing his gratitude at all the support he'd received and the kind messages, which I thought in this day and age when social media and the internet is often a really horrible place to be, sounded really encouraging. Yeah, sounds really good. I saw something recently about how people are trying to encourage more uh, film and TV production agencies to use trans actors and actresses in normal quote-unquote roles so like not yeah. necessarily have them at the forefront of a storyline about a trans person and actually the Queen's Gambit did that how far did you watch it but anyway there's a trans actress called Rebecca Root in it I believe she's mm. like one of the teachers at the school and quite a lot of people wouldn't maybe have noticed that she was trans she was just playing a woman yeah you know, it wasn't mentioned I wonder if Elliot is going to play trans characters male character gonna... exactly. yeah. yeah I think that's so true that's definitely the next stage of Hollywood catching up with issues like that and gender realignment. Because I saw a lot of people were shocked that Elliot Page was still going to continue playing a female character, which I believe is what he's currently playing on that Netflix show, not that I've seen it. And people didn't really understand that he's an actor, so it wouldn't <laughs> be like a huge deal for an actor to play somebody of the opposite gender. But it's just interesting to think about, isn't it? Would he, whether or not he will want to continue playing female roles now that he's changed yeah. identity a bit. But yeah, and it's such untrodden ground, isn't it? It's like every, audiences, producers, actors, all having to adjust to this at the same time. But so good that it's you know out there in the news and people are getting used to the idea. So this week, instead of whack or woke, we are keeping in the Christmas spirit and we instead decided to think about our favourite Christmas TV specials. So there are a few in the runnings, were they not, Connie? Yeah, so we looked up some of the most popular Christmas specials of all time um, yeah. and came up with a few, including anyone seen the Friends Holiday Armadillo episode? Yeah, yeah. and to be honest, I watched that for this and it still made me laugh out loud. So creds to David Schwimmer, because he really carries that episode and it really has aged well. It's still really funny. Um, but yeah. our number one, there was another one that you watch every year, I believe. Oh yeah, so Father Ted is a bit of a Christmas tradition in my household, even though I've actually never really watched the Father Ted series. For some reason, I always end up watching the Christmas special. So <laughs> that's one of my faves. It's the one where, if anyone else seen the one where he wins the Golden Cleric, quite funny app for getting his fellow priests out of the lingerie department of a department store. Uh, number one, the Gavin and Stacey Christmas special from series two in 2008. It's the one where Nessa is Father Christmas in a tent in Barry, and Mick is obsessed with doing the turkey perfectly following Nigella's recipe and Smithy wraps his presents in tinfoil. Bryn gets the mistletoe out and wants to snog everyone. It's that beautiful sequence of events that we all know so well. So many funny moments, like, for example, when Nessa, she gives everybody celebrations as presents, like one <laughs> celebration wrapped, <laughs> which is not the best present. And just such a classic British Christmas time thing, kind of comparing your celebrations and saying which one is the best yeah. one and ranking, oh, the bounty's the worst, or like, is it the Maltese or the um, the Galaxy Truffle that's the best? Yeah. But, yeah. How do you feel about bounties? I hate bounties. Really? That I don't mind them. Okay, you're a freak, but I still love you. 
I would happily have a bounty but I remember being so embarrassed about the fact that I quite rate bounties because honestly there's a stigma attached to people who like bounties I'm just gonna say that now <laughs> so you like a coconut girl you like coconut flavors yeah I like oh, coconut interesting. Yeah. So what's your favorite celebration then is it the bounty no, no it wouldn't be favorite no wait it's cream egg heroes yeah that's heroes you're getting uh, confused so yeah sorry that's really embarrassing it'll be yeah. the galaxy it'll be the galaxy okay nice good choice yeah. solid <laughs> back in your good books yeah that's interesting that you say about the british christmas traditions though because i listened to ruth jones on a podcast and she says that she gets loads of messages from people who say that they watch gavin and stacy when they're feeling homesick when they're living abroad or they haven't been home to britain in ages and I kind of had a similar sensation watching this Christmas special. Obviously, we're both still in Britain, but because it was like a normal Christmas, as opposed to this weird, unusual Christmas that we're having now, I felt nostalgic for a time when the whole family could gather together and there were all these underlying tensions and all of these traditions and arguments and, you know, Bryn gets out the Baileys and all of that. And I just thought... It was a return to normality on screen that we just are not experiencing this year. And I really, really enjoyed that. Yeah, 100%. And I think the point about underlying tensions is good because quite a lot of these Christmas specials and Christmas films, their Christmas day looks so perfect and unrealistic. But I do yeah. think Gavin and Stacey does it really well by kind of showing them having an amazing time and like loving life but also when they get really smashed and dawn and pete <laughs> <laughs> and uh, dave coaches get, gets punched by pete yeah pam suddenly turns on stacy and there's like that whole conflict yeah. i think that really captures the sort of underlying tensions and uncomfortable moments of christmas and and doesn't make it look like some perfect pitch perfect unattainable Thing. Christmas for a lot of people is a time when family drama really like hits the roof because mm. most of people drink loads and then everything you've been sitting on the resentments you've been sitting on for 20 years <laughs> it can be great but it's so good that they managed to spin that into something that genuinely has such heart and is really funny I just think Nick is the ideal dad if not the ideal man don't you <laughs> he's so sweet I do love I love his relationship with Gavin in particular um like in this episode when Gavin gets given the job and makes yeah. so happy they have such a cute relationship they're really like, sweet together and he's really um affectionate with Gavin it's so cute yeah it's so lovely I think he's up there with the best tv dads for sure maybe Phil Dunphy from Modern Family gives him a run for his money but yeah. that's a very different kind of dad and it's much less British and he's so nice to Pam even when she's crazy <laughs> he loves her <laughs> <laughs> yeah if anyone is looking for an on-screen experience that will take them back to what Christmas is usually like then please watch the Gavin and Stacey Christmas special from 2008 I think I've watched it every pretty much every Christmas since it came out but never gets old so a brilliant choice all round and for our parting Christmas gift to you I would like to read a poem by Wendy Cope it's called A Christmas Poem at Christmas, little children sing and merry bells jingle. The cold winter air makes our hands and faces tingle. And happy families go to church and cheerily they mingle. And the whole business is unbelievably dreadful if you're single. <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of a topical poem for this year, but in a kind of sad way because lots of people will be separated from their loved ones at Christmas, even more so than before, now that this tier four 
announcement has happened. So we are sending lots of love to anyone who is without their loved ones at this time. Yeah, so much love and joy. Sending you our Christmas joy. Try and get in the spirit if you possibly can. But also, it's okay to be sad about it, isn't it? Like, it's not going to be quite the same, but hopefully we're going to protect everyone we need to protect and the next Christmas will be amazing. So yeah. Bigger and better than ever. Loads of love to everybody. Thanks so much for listening to us. Have the merriest Christmas possible in the circumstances and we're wishing you a very happy new year. That's it for this week. Thank you to all our listeners and social media followers. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And remember to follow us on social media at From A to Gen Z on Instagram, From A to Gen Z with Connie and Jarlette on Facebook, and at From A to Gen Z Pod on Twitter. Tune in next time for another episode of From A to Gen Z.